Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness and well-being and I'm delighted that you're here. Kia ora lovely people, hey hope you're having a great week and today I'm so pleased to bring to you my conversation with one of my best mates on the planet Anna Frost. Now people who are interested in ultra endurance sport and the success of our fellow Kiwis will be well familiar with Anna. Anna is not only passionate about traveling and exploring new cultures, faces and places, since 2004 she has been a professional mountain trail and ultra runner and she has really excelled in a number of different events including winning the Hard Rock 100, one of the hardest mountain races on the planet, two years in a row, as well as some of the shorter vertical K challenges held around the world. You know, in between times though, anyone that follows Anna on social media will know that she really does, um, in addition to exploring and discovering the world, she uses those platforms as a way to share her own explorations and vulnerabilities with us and the highs and lows of life as a professional mountain runner and then transitioning from that to life as a mum and as a coach. And Anna and I really do a deep dive into her entire journey from teenage triathlete to world-class mountain runner. Before we get into it, just so you know, you can find and follow Anna at frostyfootsteps.com on the internet or at Anna Frosty on Instagram or Anna Frost on Facebook. And she is absolutely open to engaging with people, as you'll know if you follow her. Anna is much more than a runner, as I'm sure you'll discover if you're not familiar with her. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Anna Frost. I'm good, Mickey. Good. Now, tell you what. So, I have just finished doing fried chicken. I was writing um, something, then I got bored, and I thought, right, what can I do just to distract me and get me thinking? I'm like, I know, Braz makes a good fried chicken. I'm going to see if I can like come up with one. And how was it? Amazing, actually. Oh, and good. and I would like Braz and I to have a fried have a chicken. Baker basically a bake-off yeah because uh he was supposed to send me through his recipe and he did not oh really well maybe it's a secret one from his mom because it's like from the deep south of texas so you know it might be one of those like written into his family don't don't share with anyone that's true you know share it and i'll have to kill you type numbers yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so um how is dunedin is it a dunna stunner today it is actually and you wouldn't believe but um six orcas just went like wee cruising down the harbor and um we're frolicking out and having a feed and had a wee baby with them and playing around at the beach um incredible totally incredible they came in pretty close and um like you could see their eye and that big white patch under their eye and their fins were just like, I mean, their fins must be as tall as me. Amazing. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty special really. So yeah, it's a pretty good day. 
Do you know, so interesting, Anna, because I was doing some background research on you, one of my oldest <laughs> friends, but I was doing some yeah. background I was research. Like, and were you in that background research as well? <laughs> I was actually. Really... Oh, uh, good. <laughs> and, um, and I was just really reflecting on just the change that you've had over the last few years. And of course, one of the most recent ones is you and Braz and Skylar returning to New Zealand and kind of settling in for the here and now. And I was really wondering about, you know, what impact that might have for you guys as a family but also just you know in your surroundings you know because before that you spent a large part of your time in Colorado um, and of course the landscape is so different there so I was yeah. so for you to kind of come and kind of share that experience kind of tells me that from that side of things you're certainly not missing out on kind of you know some of the beautiful places in the world. Yeah I mean I've said this so many times that I feel incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful to be able to share um, both parts of, well, two two really amazing places on the planet um, and that I can call them both home. Um, you know, one of my ma major passions in life is travel and um, exploring new places. And so for me to be able to move between these two places that I absolutely love is is really amazing. And to have... A career that allows me to do that has been um, obviously a huge benefit. Um, but yeah, I think for me, you know, having that place that you can call home, which is definitely Dunedin, um, no matter what's happening around everything, you know, with this, how this world is crazy or the weather or whatever, um, I still feel a comfort coming back here. Um, and I feel like, you know, I know the ocean and the ocean is that place that I need in my life to be able to see a horizon, to feel that space and to feel sort of earthed. Um, and then obviously when we go to Colorado, there's no ocean in sight and it's just mountains, which I absolutely love, but I'm definitely not, um, you know, there's some mountain people that are proper mountain people, like they do everything in the mountains. They do, um, you know, schemo, they do mountaineering, ice climbing, all of that. And that's definitely not me. I'm more of a fair weather mountain cruiser. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, having, having at the moment we had to come back to New Zealand um, because I was still on a visitor visa. So, in America so we had to come back and that was during winter um and I don't think I've done a winter in Dunedin well I haven't really done a winter in like 15 years so that was definitely a bit of a shock for me um I have done a few you know a couple of weeks in the snow and a couple of weeks here and there um and I always find that a big novelty but I'm definitely not um a snow person <laughs> Now, I appreciate, and at least with Dunedin, you know, with the weather, you can dress for the mm -hmm. weather, but with the crazy of the rest of the world, you can't dress no. yourself against no. that. So, you know, it's kind of like the lesser of two yeah. evils. And I totally appreciate what you say with the ocean and the mountain, because maybe it's because I'm a Dunedin mm -hmm. girl as well, that that's how I feel too. And I, you know, I go to some more mountainous regions like Queenstown and Wanaka and I absolutely love it but then I think man if I had to you know if this was my surroundings this is where I lived I probably would really miss the ocean and it's not until I'm back near mm -hmm. the ocean always although as a Dunedin person didn't really spend much time in the water <laughs> yeah. or just it's a looking at the water. <laughs> 
it's a wee bit cold but it's so mm-hmm. lovely to be around so I so well, appreciate that. I think that. sometimes in mountains and I'm sure lots of people will appreciate this that you can go to these really really massive mountains and you stand there and you look at them and you see all of these opportunities and in Colorado even more so the opportunities because um, in New Zealand and I don't know about the rest of the world but if you see a mountain in New Zealand you can't necessarily just go walking up it because of um, farming or of um, private land or that the bush is just too thick and you actually can't get through it unless you follow that one track. Um, Whereas in Colorado, you see these endless mountains and there's endless opportunities and it's, you know, totally up to your skill level if you think you can get across that ridge or if you can shimmy around that lake or if you can go across that um, range. And so I think, you know, the opportunities are so, so, so big and so numerous. And at the same time, I get a little overwhelmed with that because I stand there and I look at the mountain and I might have been up there already, but then I'm like, oh, but I could go that way. Oh, and I could go that way. And oh, what if I did that and that? And what if I went, oh, that way and that way? And what about at daytime and nighttime? And all of a sudden, like, you get a wee bit stressed and a wee bit anxious, like, oh, but I don't have enough time or energy to be able to manage all of that. So whereas when I'm at the ocean, I'm like, well, there's only a certain few things I can do because, one, I'm trying to learn to ski, uh, ski, surf, and that's not beautiful. And I'm not an orca, so I'm not that beautiful in the water. <laughs> um, so, you know, I get on a stand-up paddleboard and have a swim around, and that's kind of it. And that's like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> Mate, that overwhelm is how I feel about Netflix, which is probably why I like we watch like one show at a time and then spend like half an hour kind of go, what would we watch next? Um, Yours, though, much more interesting. And, you know, part of my um, research, Anna, what one I have Mm -hmm. a question, is your middle name actually Heather? It is. Yep. I I never knew that. Wikipedia told me that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm named after the Heather and the British Moors. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, and second of all, like, you know, when you Google Anna Frost, you come up with all of these amazing pictures and all of these amazing places. And your running career and your passion for travel and running has really taken you absolutely worldwide and into, into some areas, which I wonder, you know, when you were, if you're looking back at, say, when you were younger in your teenage years or whenever it was that you took up running, could you ever have imagined that your life took the trajectory that it did? No, absolutely not. And um, the other thing to that is that I didn't even really dream that it would. It was never a goal or a desire to be where I was. It sort of just happened by accident initially. And then I guess I really felt I wanted to live with um, sort of my doors wide open um, and with mm. an attitude where, I should just take that step through that door of opportunity and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just take a different door. Um, So I was always very much a yes person. I was like, okay, let's just see what happens. And because of that, everything just snowballed and um, developed and rolled and and sort of just took its own course. Nothing of, um, you know, I was always very determined, very passionate and had high expectations of myself to achieve but I never really had a direction. And it was just through 
the experiences and um, some of them successful and some of them not where you learn and say, oh, you know, I did that race and I didn't do it very well. So I want to try and do that race or that distance again. And that sort of pushed me to continue focusing on that. Or I went, oh, no, I didn't even like that. So I'll try something else. Um, and so it was in about 2004 when I um, did the National Mountain Running Champs in um, Wanaka in Cardona and qualified for the World Championships in Italy. And that was really just one of those moments. I was like, okay, well, I may as well go. Um, and um, I didn't have a particularly good race, but I saw that there was this whole new world of travel and places and people and running and events. And so that began sort of this, I guess, roller coaster of like, oh, this could be a really fun experience just to see where I can go. Okay, so if it all began for you sort of into that 2004, like I'm thinking back oh, before, before 2004, but when when we used to catch up at Il Panificio, yeah. Eddie, Joe, you and yeah. I, and, and we'd chat and I knew you as Anna, the runner who was also a triathlete mm -hmm. and you were dabbling a bit in triathlon. So, so from there, obviously you progressed into the kind of mountain running scene and you mentioned nationals, which then took you overseas. Mm -hmm what kind of op what you know you mentioned that this showed you what you could have if you just said yes I mm -hmm. suppose and took opportunities mm -hmm. how was it back in the early days like like how so you'd finished teachers college you'd registered as a teacher mm -hmm. as well was that right yeah. was it a big decision for you to go I'm going to leave that behind and take this next step like funding wise and all that how did that kind of work yeah I I guess I was still pretty like fresh out of school and um you know the passion for travel overrode everything even running yeah and so yeah um and because I grew up traveling with my family um you know that was something that was instilled in us from when I was one year old and we traveled to Papua New Guinea to live for four years um and from there we traveled to the UK and to Australia and you know we traveled around and so for me, travel was never a barrier for um, for anything. And so mm. I, um, the first year that I went to Europe for um, the racing, ser like sort of the Grand Prix series, the World Series that they have over there, I just took bare minimum. I had barely any money. I just packed my backpack with my camping gear and um, just went to one race and then would just camp um there in the area and explore and then get on a train and go to the next place that someone had told me about where there was a race um so I had a very very low budget and um actually in those those days um races would give a little bit of travel money so not a lot maybe 50 euro here and there to um get on a train and come to their race and so um that was a really really fun way to travel and quite a few of us were doing that and so you ended up with this little family who got on the train went to the next race sort of explored the area and then did the race and moved on to the next one and then I think I did about six months of that and then I would return to New Zealand and do six month contract in teaching um and then sort of save that money and then pack up and go again um and I did that through till um, that was either in New Zealand or Wales. I was based there for a while as well, teaching. And um, I did that through to about 2009 um, when or 10 when I was able to just 
um, earn enough money from winning races and a small, tiny wee bit of sponsorship. Um, and we were starting to do a lot more of travel for sponsors, um, press conferences and meet and greet sort of run things. We did a um, what road trip, I guess, down to um, South Africa and South America. So, you know, it was the whole year on the road, so you definitely couldn't have um, a job. Um, and that's sort of how I paid for things. It definitely wasn't um, something where I had a bank account <laughs> loading up in money. It was just very much like just living from day to day, not saving much money but and not spending much money, um, but, you know, earning so much experience and earning so much in terms of travel and people. Amazing. And then, Anna, at what time in this, in your past, was in, in those years that you were uh, just describing, was it that, that kind of penny dropped that actually you could make a decent living out of this if you got some sponsorship and, mm. and you know, like a major sponsor? And how did that progress? Yeah, again, that was just something that kind of kept progressing, like snowballing. So when I was in the UK, um, my very, very first sponsorship was Innovate. And um, mm. <clears throat> it was the owner and designer of Innovate. He saw me at a running race and he just said, your downhill was pathetic. You need to try these shoes. And I said, thank you very much because my downhill was pathetic. And that shoe completely changed me, you know, for um, my downhill running. And it gave me a lot more confidence in the rest of my running. And then in 2009, um, the sort of focus from adventure racing changed to the focus in trail running. And so all of a sudden, these yeah. brands had a lot more money to put into trail running. And so Solomon reached out to me, Solomon UK was, and said, oh, look, we'd like to um, send you to Nepal to do the um, highest marathon. Is it the Everest marathon? Yeah, exactly. So I sort of spoke to Innovate and I said, oh, look, I've been offered this. And the owner at the time said, oh, you absolutely have to take that. I can't send you to Nepal. So do it. Off you go. Um, and so I went and um, again, it was not, you know, it was never like high profile sponsorships. It was just that um, they would give me a couple of pair of shoes. They were going to pay for me to go to this race in Nepal. And that was all I all I needed and all I wanted out of a brand. And um and then it was it was over, I know, 10, 15 years that I guess professional running became a thing and yeah. um, that professional runners could sort of live even though it's not like, you know, when nothing, trail runners are nothing like um, marathon runners or road runners where the money is so much higher, but it's enough that you don't actually have to work. And, you know, that comes with that though is the focus on press conferences on social media presence and things that a lot of runners aren't actually that good at and um mm. and so for me that was a huge challenge and becoming the sponsored runner is that you know I ran because I wanted to run for the passion of running for being out in the mountains on my own um not for being this like social influencer and so that was definitely a huge hurdle to um sort of learn about and accept and I guess, learn how to, you know, balance both of those. 
Mm. And I feel like in it with you being who you are, you're so open and honest on social media. And I, and I noticed that from very early on, like, even though obviously now your focus is different and, and what you might talk about is different, like you, as a role model, you've, you've been a role model for young runners, female runners coming through. Did you find that a challenge or any, I suppose, yeah, a challenge? Was that hard or did you easily kind of use your position to to put out messages like how was that for you yeah I think um you know in general social media I was never very you know I'm not very good at doing it I'm not very good at like being present you know spending time um on my phone communicating through social media but um it was something that I realized was inspiring for others and therefore it was inspiring for me Mm. and um and I also realized that you know what story was I going to share if it wasn't a genuine and honest story? And what was the point in sharing a story if it wasn't honest and genuine? So, um, yeah, I found it was just easiest to share exactly how I felt and what was going on and and my process and the footsteps. And for me, obviously, um, being a female is um, something that I am. And so that was also easy to be, you know, an empowered and empowering female on the on social um media when there's not always honest and I don't know maybe attainable people out there you know there's sometimes it's really easy to go oh that looks amazing but I could never do that Mm. well we're you know we're all role models and so we have to um kind of grab onto that and say yeah every single one of us is a role model for younger people in our worlds or to other women in our worlds or other guys in our world. And um, so without sort of the honest um, posts and honest approach to that, um, you would never see that. It would just social media would just be filled with like, you know, sort of blank pages. Yeah. And it's so interesting what I, what I noticed in your posts and, and looking back at them, just as I was doing a little bit of background for our talk, like, I feel like you tackled topics um, well before a lot of other athletes did. And if I'm thinking about female athletes, like you talked about REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport, uh, years before it's really kind of taken hold in the wider kind of athlete experience and so I feel like and, and of course with pregnancy with Skylar and motherhood and then you know postnatal um, not depression per se but just mood mood challenges that you've had like you're out there you're being really honest and open and and you're being vulnerable I suppose and I think that's mm-hmm. that's hard for anyone did you did you was that hard for you to share that stuff, Anna? Or is it just and I know you just said social media is hard, but have you grown more comfortable mm. at sharing those stories? Yeah, I think, you know, at the time when I was going through it, it maybe it was a little outlet to be able to, you know, just put it down in words, write it down and um see if there were other people experiencing the same thing. And um so no, it wasn't that hard, um, because it was sort of a relief to do it. And I definitely found um, after Skylar, I definitely went through postnatal depression and it was something I'd never, obviously I hadn't experienced before, but I hadn't really experienced that sort of depth of depression. Mm. And it was something I didn't understand or know. And there wasn't that many people around or um, on social media that could be like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Oh yeah. Like, oh, well, this is what I did. This is what I did. And, or even coming back from, 
an emergency C-section and coming, trying to come back to an athlete, how do you do that? Mm. Is there not even an athlete, but just a, just running or just being fit? Like, there's actually not that much information. And um, I think being able to have that platform that I did have allowed me to um, reach out to myself and, and seek some help and seek some inspiration from other people too. So, um, you know, it's, it's saying at the same time that social media can be hard. It's also um, an incredible tool for connecting with other people. Um, yeah, I would agree with that because I certainly noticed like on on the posts that you shared around those more vulnerable topics, there was certainly a lot of um, people who uh, you could see that it resonated with a lot of people and not because it was like, oh, Anna Frost is like this celebrity runner and she's experiencing it. It's more like, oh, it's another woman who's a mother is experiencing this too. You know, you kind of connect yeah. at the real base level of, of mother, woman grappling with this like little baby human that might've been really new for, mm -hmm. for everyone, you know? And I, mm -hmm. and I feel like mm -hmm. Anna, that's where you can really connect and do connect with your audience. It, of course, you're an inspirational runner and the, the running stuff is the, you know, is what's kind of gotten you there. But I feel like people connect with you as a person because you connect with them and, and try and get that information as well. Oh, well, good. I'm glad that you could see that, Mickey. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, hey, so um, if I do go back to your running, um, <laughs> and it, you've had some amazing race results, you know, like Hard Rock 100, of course, the Everest Mountain, Marathon Mountain, which you, I think you... Oh, I think it's just Everest Marathon. <laughs> there you go. Um, where you had like the record time by like 27 minutes, um, a host of firsts and seconds and podiums. Anna, do you have like a favorite event, a favorite race? Um, oh, there's just been so, 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 so many. And I often think I wish I had taken a diary right from the start because I um, have almost forgotten some of the races I did earlier on in my career. Um, so one day I might sort of go through that and rack my brain and see if other people can help me and remind me what races I did do. But um for sure, there's some that stand out. You know, the Himalayas for me are an incredible place, not just the mountains and the trails, but the people are just so loving, so giving, so sharing. Um, and the place that I will continue to go to for as long as I can. So that Everest Marathon was was a pretty big highlight. Um, Hard Rock 100 is, is very, um, well, it's one of my most recent races that I was really, really driven for. And I guess um, meeting Hard Rock was pretty cool because I had sort of lost, well, not that I had a direction before, but I really didn't have a direction. And so when I had gone to Hard Rock to crew for Killian, I um, went out running on the course and um, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe that where we were running was actually the course. And um I just fell in love with the place. I fell in love with um, the race and um, could see how there was this family connected to it. And so the next year I went back and um, I had to do a qualifying race, which was the 100, 100 mile race. And so I did that and qualified and then got into Hard Rock the year after. And it was just mind blowing. You know, I trained so, so hard for it. I put everything on the line for it. And um it wasn't even about the win. It was just about getting that thing finished because it's such a beast. But, um, you know, to have the win was, win was obviously a, <laughs> another nice little touch. But, um, 
yeah, just a fantastic race. And so that was definitely and is definitely in my blood. I can, went back the next year um, and won it in the opposite direction. Mm. So they run it in opposite directions. Yeah, so you almost get this brand new race, but in this very familiar place. And then I did it one more time. And then um, last, well, the last time it was actually run, I volunteered at um, an aid station right in the middle of the course up on, on this little, little ledge. Um, and it was really cool, a really nice way to still be involved with the race, but not missing it and sort of giving back and being part of the success of people getting through the course. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily just about the races that I do anymore it's also about like being part of the event being part of the community of people there helping out with the organizers and um you know seeing different sides of different races yeah and like I was thinking that as you were kind of describing that experience because did you did you crew for Killian in about 2013 or something like that um I think it was yeah 13. Yeah, yeah. Sounds right. And then so that's, you know, a good few years kind of devoted to training for hard rock. And then of course taking those two wins, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016. And uh think back into the dark recesses of your mind. What was your training like? Like talk to me about like what a training week might have looked like as you were peeking towards uh, an event like that. Yeah, I trained like an animal. Um <laughs> And I definitely don't have that animal inside me anymore. Um, it was, um, you know, I was living up at on the course. Mm-hmm. I had, um, I was living in the back of the car, camping out of there, um, parking at all the trailheads or at the camping grounds out in the mountains. And um, I would just eat, sleep, run, repeat. And, um, you know, I was doing sort of eight hours a day on the course. Amazing. Every single day for... Um, about eight weeks I really put into that with about that load Um, sort of a couple of key sessions that I tried to do um, sort of more mentally was um, like 10,000 foot vert days Mm -hmm. um, just on the course which is you know very easy considering the course is so steep Um, actually getting the vert is really tiring when you're you know exhausted from the day before um and within that training I also um would do some swimming and some cycling and um I did a massage every week just to keep everything like smoothed out um my food was fairly basic because I was living in the back of the car Mm -hmm. so um I had those um, bags of pre-cooked rice that I would just sort of throw into a salad every night and granola and banana and blueberries for breakfast. And um, lunch was sort of on the trail. So whatever trail snacks I had with me um, just because I was out all day. So um, I'd go into the little towns every now and then and get a big burger and some sweet potato fries and load up again and head back out. So um it was very 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 focused for the race yeah and was it just you Anna or did you have your um Solomon teammates alongside as you were doing these kind of like key focused uh, blocks or is it very much was it a solo exercise no I think you know during that eight weeks there was definitely different people coming and going from the area that would um come and do the training with me or come camp with me um and so it definitely wasn't solo but um 
you know, not the whole thing, but I was definitely, yeah, the main motivation was from myself to get out and go. Yeah. Okay. And any coach, like obviously as part of a team, I imagine you would have had access to, to coaches, but did you use that or or not? Um, Like, was that not? No, no, I think, um, you know, way back when I was doing a little bit of triathlon and then had got into mountain running, I was coached with John Hallamans. And um, I think I feel like he had set me up pretty well then to mm-hmm. be able to go on my own and and um, with, with some really good ideas and a really good foundation. Um, and I think with something like an ultra, it's so hard because obviously you don't want to train so hard that you go into the red and you're over-trained. But how do you know where that is if you don't go close or even go over at one point or another? So for me, ultra running and training is about experience. And I really don't think um, you can, um, I don't know, follow a training program so specifically when you're training so specifically for one race, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yes you know, you have to, you have to have your own opinion. You have to have your own, like a really good vision and a really good feel of how is this training working for me? Of course you could follow a program, but you have to be really honest and, um, or with your coach and say, look, I am near the line or this is too much, or this is not enough. I need to get closer. Um, and so it's definitely out there. For me, um, I felt that at the time I was just sort of doing what I could um, to not step over the line. Um, and it would be so hard for a coach to say, okay, do this training today, just purely because I was like living in the mountains on the trail. So yeah. what's the coach going to say? Oh, today you need to do a track session. Yeah. And I'd say, well, it would actually take me like two and a half hours to drive to a track. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you just have to be very um, intuitive when you're when you're like living like I was, where I was living for the race and say, I'm so involved with this that I have to be so in tuned with this. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're a little more open to doing, you know, races where you've got a block of races and you've got a block of training and you've got a job and you've got crazy kids or you know, you just feel like you need some discipline and um, a routine so that you don't have to think about it all the time because you're busy, 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 busy. And you just want to see, oh, I've got one hour. What's my training today? I think that's a really valuable time to have a coach. Yeah. Um, because then it just takes a lot of the stress away from thinking, oh, what should I be doing today? Yeah. Whereas for me, that's all I had to do for the day. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's sort of the beauty of, um, of, you know being the professional runner was that I didn't have anything else to do yeah and I said and as well if I'm thinking back to kind of when that was you know 2014 um onwards like we didn't have the access to the same data that that athletes have now you know there are no GPS Garmin um HRV wasn't really a thing no aura ring or whoop band anything you can use for that objective feedback and you know I've in a lot of your posts Anna and some of your blogs you talk about having that intuition and and that kind of body feel and really assessing how you feel as a as the athlete each day to kind of assess you know the type of training and you're so in tune you know and and I feel like that's probably really held you in good stead for most of your career but you have had some injuries haven't didn't you along the way 
Yeah, for sure. And that was the whole part of, like I was saying, how do you know where your line is if you don't step over it every now and then? And so for me, injuries are part of training and injuries are part of trying to get better um, and or doing something different. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that you need to get injured to get better, but sometimes when you're training at such a high level or training so much or so differently um, that the that's kind of your that's your warning that oh okay that was too, too much or that was too intense or I don't need to be doing that on my body now so um and I think like you're saying with um programs like training peaks coaching programs and watches they're so incredible now like they have you know the Garmin watches the Polar watches they have all the data right there right on your watch on your wrist and you don't necessarily even have to look at what the data is you can just upload it um it puts it all into this beautiful sheet for you and either that goes to your coach or you can look at it and say, you know, oh, I can see that this is, you know, a little bit of overtraining right now. You know, my watch is saying detraining, so I better get out and go and do some running after this. But your watch tells you, like, you need to do something or my watch says, like, you need to do some cardio or it's time to do some stretching. So I really think that there are a lot of benefits to having the structure in the um, the watch taking and the heart rate monitoring. But I think it, it at the base of it, at the root of it, when you're out there on the trail and <clears throat> or on the road doing your marathon and you're like in that dark patch and everything's really sore and hard and painful, you can't reach back to your watch. Yeah, You have to listen to what's going on inside and say, okay, I'm dehydrated or my legs are blowing up or my ankle's injured or my head's not in this. And you have to you have to know how to deal with those. And that only comes from experience and listening to your body during training. Yeah. And you just really described that so well because it really is the art and the science, right, of, of uh, running or of any sport plus coaching as well. So, and I know, and I want to have a chat to you in, um, soon about your new coaching business that you've, you've got up and running, but I imagine that, you know, you've had the experience of both. And so bringing them together and working with athletes to teach them how to listen to themselves, yet also not be governed by the numbers, I think is such an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Anna, obviously we talked about your career highlights, you know, are there any races that you look back on and, and, and I'm not thinking, you know, big regrets or anything like that, but what were some of the biggest challenges or races that didn't go well? Do you, did, did any stick out for you or was it all just part of the experience and, and you've just kind of learned from them and, and gone on? Yeah, I think there was definitely races where, um, I mean, none of them, I was like, oh my gosh, that was such a disaster. I mean, there were a few disasters, but um, races where I didn't finish. But yeah, like you said, none of them were um, something that I regret or something that I didn't learn from. I learned massively from them. I think my biggest um, disaster was at the World Mountain Running Championships. I think that was 2005 and it was actually in Wellington, New Zealand. And um, I had done a bit of a um obsessive and maybe well definitely over the top um remember old school like don't eat the carbs before the before the race and then eat the carbs before the race so I obviously did like that to an extreme which you know doesn't really surprise me and I just didn't have enough um 
um, glucose during the race to, you know, call on when my muscles were screaming at me for more energy and um, collapsed on the second lap. And um, I don't even remember getting picked up and taken to the tent. Um, They had me on all the like ECG things and my legs were in major cramping and I had to go to the hospital and it was just a complete disaster. And that was purely, you know, from... um, sort of a mistake on my own side of like trying something new before a race I guess um and 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 probably not listening to my body enough before the race um and so I mean it was fine I learned from it and I learned not to do that again <laughs> so <laughs> <didn't>. <laughs> and um how was fueling for you Anna like so with your hard like you know you described that massive like really intense focused block for hard rock mm-hmm. outside of that when you were just generally training and racing what did your fueling look like yeah, I think, um, you know, during those phases of really big training, I think it's a, a um, really, really important to fuel, like mm. in general, just fuel, because you're using up so much. And even, um, you know, that race, Hard Rock is up at um, elevations. So yeah. when you're up high in the mountains, it's actually quite hard to get food in. So you tend to not eat too much during the day. And so <clears throat> you really have to shovel it in because otherwise the next day you'll just be kind of exhausted. Yeah. Um, I've never, I've never been very, very, you know, good with a diet, like a specific diet, following a good diet, but um, I've never been bad either, at, you know, yeah. eating junk food or um, I eat lots of chocolate, but I think that's pretty okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, I, um, with a hormone balance, I really found to kind of keep my weight at a, um, sort of stable weight um having sort of a higher fats um good fats like avocados and olive oils and nuts was really really good for me and it just sort of helped keep a steady weight and it also definitely kept injuries away from um ligaments Mm. and joints and um and I think it just helped sort of hold that energy a little bit longer as well yeah and and I like in in any sport I think as a female and particularly as a female role model um not that I've ever been a female role model but uh you do you get the um the was there ever a pressure to be a like a different size be different from who you are as part of that because Um, you often hear that from from runners and particularly in light of you know if I'm thinking about the marathon running scene and what's been going on over at Nike and and with the girls coming Mm -hmm. up stories about coaches weighing them before sessions and telling them to lose two kilos obviously you don't have that same coach athlete relationship but Mm -hmm. did you feel the pressure as a professional runner to be a certain way or no I don't really feel like that is in trail running sports yeah I feel like trail running is a lot more accepting and a lot more open to um that we all come in different sizes and shapes and you really don't have like the model trail runner you know there's tall skinny ones there's short squat ones there's like beefy muscly ones there's little springs um and and I think that's why I love trail running so much because you can just be who you are um I never had any problems, you know, being told or or thinking that I should be different size. Um, I did, you know, I guess very, very early on when I did go to the World Championships in 2004, I definitely did have some, you know, like, I guess a scary feeling on the start line because there was these 
women who were so 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 extremely fit you know they didn't have an ounce of fat on them they were so strong looking and that was definitely intimidating Mm. um and so I think for me the processing wasn't about me losing weight or being like them it was that they were just who they were and I knew that I was strong and fit and that I had to have confidence in myself and I think um, I had gone to a sports psychologist that next year and he had said to me um, that we were all just a wheel yeah and we were all just trying to make our engines go and all of our wheels were different they had different rugs on them and different lugs on them and different um, compound and different texture and different makes and different brands Um, but we all had to go around and we all had to get up the mountain and so for me that was a really really great thing to a tool for me to hang on to every time when I was on that start line so that I didn't like get myself in a tiz and go oh my gosh look how strong and fit everyone is and what about me Um, that I could just say oh I'm just another tire and you know, we'll see how mine goes today and really like personalize it and say, well, I've done the training, I've done the hard work and um, let's see what happens on the line. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I so agree with you with that trail running, um, you know, if you, on the face of it, it does seem really different from road running, but equally I feel like, and because so many more people are doing road running there, there is like more acceptance now, maybe not in the elite, but mm-hmm. just in the, the people who do it, that it's not about being the smallest you can be. It's about being the fittest yeah. you can be and the strongest yeah. you can be. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you got to be able to run up those hills. you got to be able to take those yeah. downhills. And and actually yeah. outside of all of that, you just got to stay on your feet, you know, and you can't yeah, get to the finish line. <laughs> exactly. And if you're, yeah. you know, if your mind's gone because you're not fueling properly and you don't have the mm-hmm. energy available to be able to make good decisions yeah then you've just there's your whole race gone you know well and and even before you get to the race you know if you're not fueling right and you're doing the training you're you're not even going to be able to get to the start line and I I often say that's the hardest part of a race is getting to the start line because um you have so many sacrifices for that and once you're there it's kind of the easy part then you just go and do it and you just dig deep and put everything out on the line but um you know, if you're not fueled and if you're not sort of sensible and in tuned and listening to yourself, then getting to that start line is is really is not going to happen. Yeah, totally. And if we just kind of move you forward a little bit in your kind of history, like, did you or first actually before I do that, any like inspirations or mentors or any individuals that you can kind of like think yeah they really had a big influence on the direction that my career took or you know how I viewed running and 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 how I trained like anyone like that for you I think it's it's quite interesting that um when we when I sort of started in the trail running it was this new it was this new thing, you know, trail running was booming and um, no one had been a professional runner before. No one had been, no one was doing it as their sport. It was kind of the start. And so I think probably the people that I looked up to the most were the peers that were all around me also doing, going through this experience with me Um, because we were kind of just there for each other and we were, you know, encouraging each other and supporting each other and going to these new races with each other so it was kind of like this moving support group and um 
yeah, I think, you know, they're all very, very dear friends. They were, they're all international from all over the world. And, um, and we were all running for the pure love of it. We weren't running because it was really good for our bank accounts. We were doing it because um, we loved it and we wanted to explore and meet new people. And so I think it was all of those people, um, to name a few, like Ricky Gates and Francois de Hain, um, Nuria Picas and Emily Forsberg, Kelly and Jornet, you know, they were all part of this um, Ryan Sands as well. They were all part of this group right at the start that we were sort of just doing this exploring of this new sport and this new world. And um, I think, yeah, I think without their support and their sort of, you know, ability to be our, like, family on the road, Mm. then I don't know if I would have been able to continue doing it because it was – you know those people that really made it accessible yeah um I think you know I always saw Lizzie Hawker as um an amazing uh, an amazing woman she was probably trail running way 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 before I was and had probably even started more the direction of trail running but people just didn't know about her she was very um quiet and sort of hidden and just running again because she loved it um, and so when I did get to run alongside her, I did really see how passionate she was about it and still is about it. Um, so I think it was all of those people that instilled the passion in me um, rather than actually seeing someone to follow. Mm-hmm. I guess with that, like, do you miss that now, Anna? Like if you're, you know, as you've kind of moved, you transitioned out of that professional role and 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 now running you know does running still mean the same to you now or have you has your relationship changed with running now yeah I mean it it always goes through different phases I think everyone's running does you know you always run for different reasons and um so I went from being a passionate runner to running purely because um the brand told me to and then wanting to quit and um then refinding my love for running um at the same time that I found my love for running again it was a self-acceptance that I was who I was and running was just something I did Mm. and that really allowed me to run with my passion again Mm. just with my heart Um, and then finding hard rock sort of gave me a whole new drive to run you know with these huge expectations of myself Um, and then going into pregnancy you know running was just sort of an enjoyable like ride of this new body and new shape And then after pregnancy, it's really been a huge battle to try and get um, any strength back and just trying to get running with um, without pain and um, with a little bit of flow again. So, you know, definitely now if someone said to me, you can never race again, but you could go out for a run and um, for an hour or two hours and be pain free, would you do it? And I'd say absolutely 100 percent. Yeah. so yeah, I, I like I say when I was doing hard rock, I was training with a with an animal, but I'm definitely um, not that same animal. I'm definitely, um, you know, a softer softer approach, but still I think with the same passion. You know, when I go running, um, I still get that same sense of freedom and um, calm and clarity. Um, and I think, you know, whether I'm running 30 minutes or 30 hours, um, I'm still finding that thing that, you know, 
of why I run. Yeah, lovely. And and I'm just going to take you back a little bit. Um, so I have this mate and she on Facebook wrote once that no man will ever love me the way running does. Um, I feel like for you that isn't true because now you've got a husband. Mm-hmm. When did Braz come onto the scene? Yeah, so we met at Hard Rock. Um, Which and year? And it was a couple of... Um, don't get me in trouble here, Mickey. <laughs> um, one of the hard rocks yep, we met. Great. And then we met up at the um, next hard rock. I don't know what year. <laughs> um, and then he he helped me through um, my first hard rock, so 2015. Yeah. Um, we travelled a little bit later on that year and um, I guess he was in a place as well where he had found running quite in from a different background than me an American grew up in um, Oklahoma had moved to Colorado to um, you know kind of he'd traveled and then moved to Colorado so he'd sort of seen a bit of the world and realized that there was so much more to the world than Oklahoma so yeah, um, yeah so he, he had this really hugely growing passion um, I don't even really know if he knew who I was at the time um as a runner um and so yeah we you know we both had that desire to travel more as well and so we traveled to Peru and Ecuador that year um and then the next year we went out to Madeira in Portugal the Portuguese island um and you know just sort of fell in love with the idea of traveling and um how could we make that something together as a business and so we thought we'll bring people to Madeira it's incredible here and so that was sort of our starting of um not only our partnership in life um but also in our trail run adventures business where we said well this is what we want to do we want to be able to travel freely together um and also bring people to have these amazing experiences with us that's amazing and I love how that you know you've kind of kept that running um the whole uh, I suppose the running environment that you were so used to as a professional runner to get up run explore um you know different areas and stuff you've taken that and you've turned it into a business albeit at the minute maybe on hold a little bit because of COVID you know post-COVID that's still something which is there to um continue to kind of I suppose see your passion through yeah and I think you know we we've had um sort of four years up until now to build those trips already and so we have absolutely fantastic local um guides who are in those places already in Japan and Ecuador and Madeira and um Norway and so our trips now can they were obviously were on hold last year but this year you know we've opened them back up again and hoping that um people locally can travel to their trips in their areas so that um, we can continue doing it. We won't be able to be the guides, but um, the locals will be there to guide them. That's amazing. That's such a good sustainable business yeah. model as well. Like people, you're like you're, hopefully, you're part, hopefully. you'll be able to live vicariously through their running adventures in their neck of the woods, right? Exactly. You've recently finished up a um, one just in uh queenstown is it in the queenstown area yeah in ben loman um over the back of um the ben loman mountain on the back there there's a whole big ben loman station um it's private land and so and they've got this little lodge on there um 
I've been there quite a few times for the Shot Over Moonlight Marathon race that goes on in there. Um, and just, it's so amazing. It's just mountains galore. Um, and so we had a trip there. Um, I think we had 15 um, guests with us and everyone did amazingly. We had options every day for um, people that wanted to go longer or shorter or faster or slower. Um, we had plenty of guides or three guides so we could kind of split the groups um, you know, to whatever people were feeling. Um, we had a helicopter on the second day to drop us off out on the um, property and run back on the trail. Um, so obviously the helicopter flight was pretty incredible. Um, and so we have decided to run another trip in um, probably early April, um, the same the same trip, but just to open it up again so that um, more people get an option of, of doing that again. Because for me, it's, a, it's an incredibly special place to be able to run when you can land on private land. You know, you don't, it's not like running, a trail in your area or even one of the great walks where you bump into lots of other people walking the same way um with this there is no one out there yeah so um, yeah it's pretty special that's amazing and I think what I love about these types of, of adventures and trips is that you know running is people call running a solo you know individual sport but part of the reason we love to run is that camaraderie and that kind of being around like-minded people and to experience beautiful places and you know in in some ways COVID has really enabled a lot of us to refocus our attention on our beautiful country and what we've got right in front of us rather yeah. than always looking a field and going oh I want to be in this other place you know outside of New Zealand we are able to experience New Zealand for what it is which is I think really special it's amazing yeah yeah and uh you're sh- obviously things have shifted for you you know you've you've moved running to a different place and and maybe now you're you're viewing it from the kind of the original place with which you started maybe um and you've always been such an inspiration for people and I'm really excited now that you're coaching and mm-hmm. I remember chatting to you about um you know doing a plan for um or who you might recommend as a coach and this is before you were a coach and Mm -hmm. you were a little bit like well the problem with coaches is that they always overtrain people and I know obviously you don't think everyone overtrains people but you know in your experience particularly in this Mm -hmm. ultra running sport that's what you see a lot um Mm -hmm. what other mistakes might people make when they're training for something like an ultra I think um the biggest mistake is that you don't listen and um, listen to everything. Like, are you, are you um, fueled right? Have you got an injury? Have you got a niggle? Is your, have you gone to a physio and they've said you need to do these exercises and you've walked out of there and not done them? Um, when you're doing an ultra, it's not just about getting strong running. Mm-hmm. When you're doing an ultra, your whole entire body and system is under stress. So, if you're not swimming and doing sit-ups and doing toe exercises and drinking those electrolytes and taking your immunity tablets and, I don't know, doing everything else, having your salt bath, getting the right clothing, putting on your, like, chafing nut butter at the start of your run, getting the right pads, wearing the right hair ties, you know. Yeah. It, it's because you're out there for so long that everything matters. And it's not just that one race day because every run you do you're out there for ages or you it's it's got to add to your package of ultra running so you know it's it's you really have to be so diverse you really have to be very open-minded to change 
um, and to like changing things up. So if you get an injury and you can't run, well then bike instead, go swimming instead, like power hike. You know, you have to have an open mind that just because you're not running doesn't mean that you can't train for an ultra because ultras need strength yeah over everything strength for your mind are you doing your meditations are you doing your yoga yeah um and so I think the biggest mistake is that we get so finely focused on running the straightforward action and what happens when something comes in from the side whether it's a a rock that you're trying to run or an injury or something stressful at work or a week where you actually have to go to a town and you don't have trails run on what are you going to do instead um so I think I think we tend to get um and you know with the training program and now that I'm coaching you know I can see how it's very easy to happen for me you know I went through a phase where I didn't wear a watch at all because I didn't need a watch I just wanted to go and then come back um it didn't matter how far I went or how much uphill I went I know how up much uphill I did because it hurt you yeah. know now having these watches that are so clever and for me having a watch was um some external motivation and i think you know because watches are so clever now that they can do that but when and i use training peaks in my coaching programs and so i'm setting these programs and so i can see how it's very easy to get very like oh this is my program um and i always say and i always think like are you um you know, take your watch if you want to run because it's good to upload it. But could you put it in your backpack for today nice. and not look at it on your wrist or not even see, oh, my heart rate's pretty high or how long have I been running or how fast am I running? Put it in your backpack because then you've got the distance. Um, but feel how you're feeling and see where you're going and see how it looks when you're going that fast. Mate, such a good point. And just as a, um, so I was at Park Run this morning and um, love oh, nice. it. Honestly, it's one of the best yeah, an amazing thing. inventions for running over the however many, yeah. you know, however long, like six or seven years. And so one of the, our mates there, Tom, he was talking about how he'd come back to Park Run the week before and he's very focused on his data. Like Tom has a Garmin and he also has a Whoop band as well, you know, like, so he's all about the data. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's just brilliant. And, um, He's running along and he he knows where his heart rate would normally sit at a particular point in the race. And he was not feeling too bad, but he looked down and saw that his heart rate was 180, which is 40 beats above where he would normally see it, even though he was yeah. feeling the same way he would normally feel. His watch was giving him right. information. What a mind, you know, it's such yeah. A, yeah. a mind trap. But then he thinks he's having a heart attack, so he slows down. Basically, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so what you just said with putting your watch in the backpack or somewhere where you can't see it is mm -hmm. so great because people don't want to not have their watch because if it doesn't go on Strava, then did it even happen? Um, but, but they don't want to be slaves to the data as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I see that from my coaching that it's really nice. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of people struggle with the consistency and um, with my coaching or with my, you know, if someone was to ask me my top tips, I always say consistency um, because your body learns and your body remembers. Um, if you're just doing a run here and a run there and then biking here, 
your body sort of gets out of a flow and out of the routine of like, okay, I get this. Yep. On Tuesdays, that's my hill repeat day. So you you begin to look forward to Tuesdays because you're like, it's my hill repeat day. Woo-hee. Yeah. And then, or, you know, Sundays are my long run. And what happens with that is that everything around you, whether it's your family or your nutrition or your cycles, you just get into this routine and your body remembers what's going on. Yeah. And you start to get this flow and rhythm. And, and I think with that consistency, progression comes easier. Yeah. And I think fitness comes easier because your body can respond. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think that's the beauty of doing something like a watch and a training program on something that's very visual, like training peaks. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And you know what I love about the, like your experience and what you would bring to that coaching relationship. And I just remember a time when this was years ago, like it was maybe 2007 and you were staying with me in Mount Eden and I had a niggle under my foot and I wasn't going to run. It was a bit of plantar fasciitis. And of course, in my, even though I'd been running for years, I obviously didn't have the same experience as you. And you were like, no, you just need to rub, run that, rub that out. That'll actually be fine. We can run tomorrow morning. And you like gave it a good hard rub. And then we went running up Mount Eden and I was completely fine, you know? And so like, in like what I think that, what I think would make coaching with you really different, Anna, is that you understand the body and you understand what the body knows as well. And you can be that little bit of a guide for your athlete if they're not so experienced in that regard. Yeah, exactly. And I I have had so many experiences and so many different things. And if it hasn't been me, it's been a friend or someone that I've been around to watch go through the process. And so, of course, we have to write our own story. You know, Um, you can't, I can't just write you a book and you follow it and it'd be the same for you. We have to write our own books, but we can take little snippets of each person's books. And so by doing that, it means that Um, you know, if an athlete is, if one of my athletes is saying, oh, you know, I've got bad period cramps, I don't want to run this week. Well, then, you know, we'll look at their cycles and we'll make their program adjust so that in period week, we don't do big runs. It's an easy week, Um, you know, and because that was the same with me and, um, or with an injury, I know that if I can't run, I can still power hike all day long and come out of it so, so fit. I think it was 2010 or 12, it could have been, there was the Commonwealth um, Mountain Running Championships in the UK in Keswick. And um, I'd had a knee niggle for for six months, three months that I wasn't able to run. Um, and I was out in the Alps um, in Europe and um, was just living out of my camper van and just hiking, hiking, hiking five or six hours a day, hiking really fast up and down mountains. And um, the New Zealand team had a, had called me up and said, could you be our fourth counter? Because we need a fourth number to make up the team. And I said, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be pretty, but I'll, I'll drag myself to the top. And as I was getting towards the race, I still wasn't running. I was only power hiking, but I felt so good. I felt so long and strong and lean. And I got into the race and I smashed it. I just had, you know, so much balance and strength in me from all of that hiking. I didn't have the impact. I didn't have the injury anymore and um, had the best race of my life or one of the best races of my life. And um, I power hiked for, for five or six months. Um 
So I think, you know, it's just about being very, very open to um, or to hearing other people's experiences and to being able to say to other people, look, just try this. It might not work, but let's just try it. Amazing. And Anna, I see on your website that you offer people like a one-off kind of training plan that they can submit for you to write for them like a 12-week a, a option. Yeah. Are you taking individual mm-hmm. clients as well right now? Yes, so um, we've got, like you say, the training um, packages where um, you send me in your basic information and I'll ask you a whole bunch of questions, we'll have a chat and I'll write you a 12-week program. I think um, we'll also do a 16-week one in case people want more um, and I'll write that up and we can chat, you know, sort of halfway through and see how you're going if you need any updates or um, I call it my full-on package and um that's like I say, it's full on. I'll, I'll kneel down in front of you and bow to you to <laughs> go and do the training and whip you and say, "Come on, let's go!" Um, and you know, update your training whenever you need. You can text me, call me, um, and just sort of be there. Um, you know, for me, ideally, I'd be right there. You know, being able to go out running with with my um, runners but obviously we can't do that Um, but that's the beauty of being so online is that you can keep in touch so easily from America to you know all of Europe and and New Zealand Um, and so with that program um, yeah it's on training peaks as well and it's a um, very very thorough program. That's awesome Anna and to have you know, people, I don't know how many people actually know you coach, to be honest. So this is such a good opportunity to tell people about that because like having you, someone who is so experienced and so knowledgeable guide someone through their running, like that is an amazing opportunity for any runner, basically, regardless Mm -hmm. of ability. Yeah. And it's something that I've always dreamt of doing. I just haven't really had the right timing, I guess. Um, so right now it's it felt right. So yeah. yeah, here we go. Perfect. And Anna, just before we finish up, what, what kind of training and stuff are you doing right now? Like, so what does it look like for you? For me, I don't follow my um, <laughs> advice. Um, I haven't really been very consistent at all. Um, I did go through a phase after having Skylar of actually feeling quite fit and strong again. Um, then I just had some back pain coming up that I just could not get on top of. And I'm guessing, well, I'm not guessing. I know that that came from having the emergency C-section mm. um, and then probably bumping up the running far too much and far too quickly without refocusing on building that core strength and um, sort of just thinking, oh, well, it will it will come back eventually. I'll get strong. Mm. That's not correct. Um, it hasn't come back and it won't until I do some work. So um, at the moment, I'm knuckling down on um, focusing on stretching and focusing on core strength and um, yoga. Um, and I'm doing some runnings a couple of hours here and there during the week. Nice. Um, but definitely nothing structured, nothing consistent. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds to me, though, that you are, you're listening to your body. And, I mean, you've always been active. Like, and I know just from our friendship that even though you're sitting there saying, I'm not very consistent, I'm not very active, you, there's probably not too many moments of the day that you actually sit down. This might actually be one of the longest times that you would have yeah. sat down. <laughs> and this is yes, conversation I think I need to book in, um, I think I need to book in more podcasts with you because then, and, um, I can sit down and Skylar is off with her dad and um, it means that I have to get a break because she's 
she is pretty consistent with her um, activity. <laughs> 24-7 <laughs> as I understand it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I would love to um, open it up to our listeners actually to see whether we can have a Q&A yes. with you after this podcast goes out because, you know, if there's... I love picking your brain and I know that I would have asked maybe a, you know, an absolute um, small, small, small fraction of what other people want to know. So if you're open to that, I would love to have you back. Yes. Let's do that. Fabulous. Well, Anna, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm going to put obviously links to your um, website, your coaching services, and obviously Instagram, Facebook. I don't think I actually need to direct too many people to find you because most people obviously know about you. And I'm just so privileged to be able to call you a friend and also call on you to come chat to me. So thank you so much, Anna. Oh, thank you for having me, Mickey. Right team, hopefully, you know, you really enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And, you know, so much of what Anna says really resonated with me. And, you know, she really does connect with us kind of, I suppose, mere mortals, if you like, and people who haven't been in that professional runner space. And she really does put a spin on it that is just so vulnerable and open to to those highs and lows of being a professional runner. And also, she's so open about that transition and some of the challenges she had, knowing full well that by her sharing her story, she's opening up those conversations in that dialogue so others can connect and share their stories as well because that is just you know part and parcel of that healing process as i said head on over to frostyfootsteps.com and check anna out next week really that this is one for you geeks out there um, and runners and Ironman athletes actually it's for everyone because I get to talk to Dr. James O'Keefe who is a cardiologist who specializes in health and longevity and lifestyle and we do a really deep dive into the athlete heart until then though you can catch me at Mickey Willardin over on Twitter and Instagram where I share pretty much everything that goes on in my day over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition or hop on over to my website, mickeywillardin.com, and you can connect with me for a one-on-one or family consultation, or jump on board one of my nutrition online coaching plans, where I help people navigate that space of weight loss, longevity diets, or really just how to put together a good diet to feed yourself and subsequently your family. So that involves meal plans, it involves shopping lists, being able to connect with me to individualize your diet in addition to any other nutrition questions you may have, weekly emails where I really do a deep dive into what I'm interested in, and a Tuesday night forum where we connect over on the Facebook members only page and we get to answer questions and ask questions that other people may also uh, be interested in. So until then team, you have a great week. See ya. See ya.